As flawed as David was, God was working out his redemptive plan through his life that his descendant, Jesus, the son of David, the son of God, would become the savior of the world. And as the savior of the world, Jesus has authority over all and is the eternally blessed of God. You notice that in this one verse, Paul wrote both of the humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ here in verse 5. He is the eternally blessed of God. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. You're on a big merry-go-round and it's taking you for a ride. You've got to let go and let go. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Today we're going to begin looking at some of the sovereignty of God. We're also going to see the heart of the Apostle Paul for the Jewish people in a message that I titled, God's great mercy and compassion. I broke this message into three points. We're first going to see in verses one through five, a great sorrow and continual grief. Six through 13, the word of promise. And 14 through 18, God's sovereignty. I'll go ahead and read the first five verses. Our first point, open us in prayer, and we'll get into the teaching of God's word. Romans 9, 1 says, I tell you the truth in Christ. I am not lying, my conscience, also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have a great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers, and of whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed of God. Amen. And Father, I pray that you would be with us. Help us, Lord, to receive from your word that which the Spirit is Desiring to say to your church today, to this church, we pray, Lord, speak to us. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Here we find Paul's continual sorrow, a continual grief. And if you ever had a great sorrow or continual grief, something that just doesn't let go, it's always with you. I was having lunch with one of the friends of our fellowship this week, and he has a son that is away from God. He Actually, he said there is a little light there because his son asked his dad for prayer. And he said, uh, you know, a few years ago, he 
announced that he was an atheist. He didn't believe in God anymore, so he's asking for prayer. If you don't believe in God, who are you praying to? So there's a little glimmer of hope, but it was this continual breaking of the heart of this father concerning his son, not knowing how to handle the situation, just leaving it into the hands of the Lord. But Paul had this kind of continual ache in his heart, so much so that he said, I wish I could be accursed from Christ. In Exodus 32, 32, we read of Moses when the children of Israel had made the golden calf and they had worshipped that golden calf, that Moses prayed at that time to God saying, yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. Moses, in intercession for the children of Israel, asked God to forgive them, even though they had made a false God, even though they had bowed down and worshipped this false God. Moses had such a great love for the children of Israel. He said, Lord, if not, if you do not forgive them, blot me out of the book of life. He was willing to give up his place in heaven if God did not forgive their sin. And although this was, is an impossibility, the Apostle Paul had this similar love for his own people. He said, I tell you the truth, I am not lying. My conscience bear me witness in the Holy Spirit. Man, he, the truth in Christ, I'm not lying. My conscience, uh, the Holy Spirit, he's pulling out all these different truths. It would be kind of like us today saying, well, may lightning strike me if I'm not telling you the truth. You know, you're trying to get the point across and that's what he's doing here in verse one. I tell you the truth in Christ. Personally, I'm not lying. My conscience bears witness with the Holy Spirit. I have a great sorrow and continual grief in my heart for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Now, Paul's wish to be accursed from Christ is an impossibility once we have come into fellowship with Jesus Christ. Because each of us have a responsibility toward God for our own sins. Paul uh, couldn't die for his Jewish brethren. Jesus already did that. Paul was wishing for something that Christ had already performed. Not that Christ would be accursed apart from God forever, but for a season on the cross, Christ was accursed. It's anathema is the Greek word. It means a thing devoted to God without hope of being redeemed. Something that has been devoted to God without hope of being redeemed. And I have to confess to you, I do not want to be blotted out of the book of life for the sake of our wayward nation. I don't think I have the same love that Paul had for his Jewish brethren than for our nation here in the United States today. I might be more like David. We read from Psalm 139 where David said the enemies, get them. I might be more apt to pray that to the Lord. God, they're, they're messed up. Take care of them. But God doesn't require such a sacrifice from us. Jesus, as I said, already paid the ultimate sacrifice in exchange for our salvation when he died upon the cross. For that season, he was anathema. He was accursed while he hung upon the cross. As Galatians 3.13 says, Christ 
has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Oh, that we would, though, have a heart like Paul, one like Moses, that would break for others in such a way. Such hearts are capable of moving others to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But he lists out Israel's great advantage in verse 4. In this one verse, he lists out seven things that were to the advantage of Israel. I've already read the verse for you, so I'll break down the seven for you. First of all, they are Israelites. He's referring to the fact that they were God's chosen people. In Deuteronomy 7, 6, God said, You are a holy people to the Lord, your God. The Lord, your God, has chosen you to, to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Secondly, to whom belonged the adoption, referring to Israel of all the nations of the earth, God called them his firstborn. They belonged the adoption. They were the children of God, we would say. In Exodus 4.22, God said to Pharaoh, Israel is my son, my firstborn. God did not say this of any other nation. Thirdly, to whom belonged the glory, the glory referring to the Shekinah glory cloud of God that was there at the tabernacle first and then at the temple. The presence of the Lord, that cloud in Exodus 40, verse 34, the cloud that covered the tabernacle of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, that God's glory was in the midst of their people. God's glory was never seen in any other nation, being in the midst of their people like he was at one time in Israel. To whom belong the covenants, uh, God's covenants with Abraham and his descendants. God said to Abraham in Genesis 17, 7, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. God made several covenants, and that's why it's plural. Uh, he made covenants more than one to Abraham. He made a covenant with David. He made a covenant with the nation of Israel, and so we say the covenants, plural. Also, to whom belong the giving of the law, referring to the Mosaic law. In Ezekiel 20, 11, Ezekiel wrote that I gave them my statutes and showed them my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, I gave them my statutes, I showed them my judgments. They had the giving of the law. And number seven, whom belong the service of God? Serving in the tabernacle and the temple, the priest daily offering in the morning, one in the evening, the monthly offerings, the annual sacrifices, all with the combined offerings that came, the service of God. They served God there at the temple. In Exodus 12, 25 through 27, God said, it will come to pass when you come into the land, the Lord will give you just as he has promised. You shall keep this service and it shall be with you when your children will say to you, what do you mean by the service that you shall say it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt. He struck the Egyptians 
delivered our households, and so the people bowed down their heads in worship. That was number six, actually. Number seven, to whom belong the promises. And the, the big promise, especially referring to Jesus, our Redeemer, in Acts 13, 32, and 33, and we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, and has raised up Jesus. As it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son. So seven things that he listed out to them in verse four, they are Israelites, they to whom pertain the adoption. Number three, the glory. Number four, the covenants. Number five, the giving of the law. Number six, the service of God. And number seven, the promises and that great promise of the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. And truly, the people of Israel have been given many wonderful advantages. I believe here in the United States today that we have been given many wonderful advantages to know God and to worship him. But people can squander the advantages that they have been given to truly apply these advantages, whether you're talking about Israel then or our nation today, an individual must come to life-saving faith in Jesus Christ. In verse 5, this is a good verse, verse 5, to whom are the fathers and from whom, according to all flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed of God. Amen. First of all, the fathers referring to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and his 12 sons. These are the forefathers of the nation of Israel from which came the Messiah of the world. As Jesus' lineage could be traced back through David's kingly line all the way back to Abraham, the forefather of the Jews. As it says in Matthew 1.1 in the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Jesus Christ, both the son of David, the son of Abraham. By telling us that Jesus was the son of Abraham, Matthew, there in Matthew 1.1, proved that Christ came from the right nation. By telling us that Jesus was the son of David, he proved that Christ was, is the legal heir to the throne of Israel, coming through the right tribe, the tribe of Judah. And Matthew there in Matthew chapter 1 even revealed the mission of Christ, as the angel Gabriel said, Matthew 1, 21, she shall bring forth a son, he shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, the Greek translation of the Hebrew word, Joshua, Jehovah is salvation. The mission of Jesus Christ is even concealed in his name. He will save the people from their sins. During our Father's Day message, I had stated concerning David as flawed as David was, God was working out his redemptive plan through his life that his descendant, Jesus, the son of David, the son of God, would become the savior of the world. And as the savior of the world, Jesus has authority over all and is the eternally blessed of God. You notice that in this one verse, Paul wrote both of the humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ here in verse 5. First of all, the humanity of Jesus Christ as the Messiah of Israel. 
but concerning the deity, he is over all. He is the eternally blessed of God. Uh, here in Romans 9, verse 5, we have both the humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ uh, being given to us in this one verse. In 1 John 5, 20, it tells us, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in the Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Our question that we must ask of all people, have you come to know he who is over all, the eternally blessed of God? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Jesus Christ is the only pathway into eternity. As Paul said, I wish I could be accursed for my Jewish brethren, but Paul couldn't be anathema. He couldn't be accursed because Christ Jesus has already been accursed for us when he hung upon the tree. He's already paid the price. In physical life, we can die for someone else. We can put our life out there in harm's way and, and even lose our life for someone else. But it would only spare them in the physical realm, not the spiritual realm. The only way that we can find salvation is through the one who became anathema, if only for six short hours while he hung on the cross. He was accursed of God for a season that we might be able to come into fellowship with God. But as individuals, we need to come to Christ. Secondly, verses 6 through 13, we find the word of promise. And Israel had, has great advantages as God's chosen people. We had just seen that. However, Paul shows us that just because someone is born a physical descendant of Abraham does not make them Abraham's seed. As I said concerning our nation, I believe our nation has had many great advantages, largely because in the founding of this nation, there were many God-fearing people that believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for a season, we became a light to the world, shining the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ into many of the other nations of our world. Do you know today that several nations are actually now sending missionaries to the United States? We're not getting the job done any longer. Just because we might be deemed a Christian nation, a survey of just a couple of years ago had 83% of our nation believing in God. I look at the things that our nation does. And I think there's no way 83% of our nation actually believe in God. They may believe that there is a God, but they don't believe they're accountable to God because if they did, we would conduct ourselves, I have to believe, we would conduct ourselves much differently. But here we find in verses 6 and 7, well, 6 through 9, in Isaac your seed shall be called, but in verses 6 and 7, the children of promise. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are of the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. To show that God had not failed the Jewish people, had not failed the 
of his promises to Abraham and his descendants, Paul now makes a distinction between those who are of physical Israel and those who are spiritual descendants of Abraham. And through Abraham's two sons, he had two sons, one named Isaac, one named Ishmael. God was working out his eternal purposes by distinguishing between the children of promise and the children of bondage. In Genesis 16, when Abraham was 85 years old and Sarai, still having not given him a son, we know her better as Sarah, but the name wasn't changed yet. But at that point, Abraham was 85 years old. Sarah would have been either 74 or 75 at this point. She decided to lend God a helping hand. God, I know what you promised. We've been in the land here for 10 years now. You promised a son. Abraham keeps reminding me of this. I kind of get the mindset of Sarah. First, you're 65 years old, and Abraham comes to you and says, you know what, God said we're going to have a boy. And Sarah was thinking, 65? Kind of rare, but possible. Maybe it could happen. Now she's 75, and Abraham's still saying, you know, Sarah, God's saying we're going to have a boy. She's thinking, God might be saying it, but this body's not producing a boy for you, and it's not going to happen. I'm too old at this point. She decided to lend God a helping hand. I don't think God needs our help, but I think quite often we might be guilty of trying to help God out in situations. God, you know, just step aside. I got this one, Lord. I know your hands and cup and soul world and everything in it, but I think I can actually deal with this one better than you. And so she did. She gave her handmaid, Hagar, to Abraham, and she quickly bore him a son. It caused resentment with Sarah between Hagar and his firstborn son, Ishmael. Ishmael became, though, a work of the flesh and not a work of the spirit. God promised to establish his covenant and his descendants through his descendant, Isaac. In Galatians 4, 28 through 31, it tells us, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman with her son, Ishmael, for the bondwoman shall not be the heir with the son of the free woman, the free woman being Sarah. And so then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. And only those who are spiritual descendants of Abraham are the children of promise. As believers in Jesus Christ, we qualify as a spiritual descendant of Abraham. Today we have seen in God's great mercy and compassion. First of all, in verses 1 through 5, Paul had a great sorrow and continual grief. And I'd ask the question, have you come to know he who is over all, the eternally blessed of God? Romans 9 verse 5, he's dealt with both the humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ in one verse alone. In verses 6 through 13, we've seen a word of promise. And it's only by calling upon the name of Jesus Christ that it makes us children of promise. And then finally, in verses 14 through 18, God's sovereignty. 
We're going to be dealing with this issue. Remember Romans 9 through 11, chapters 9, 10, 11, all dealing with the sovereignty of God. We're going to be touching on this for the next couple of months. But the question, have you come into that place of fellowship? Realize that the path of God's mercy has been paved by the very blood of his son, the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your word and for what it teaches us. And I think about this passage and we think of first and foremost of Paul's great love for his Jewish people. And Lord, perhaps we can admittedly say that we have no such great love like Paul did to wish that he could be accursed. We would never perhaps say, Lord, I want to be eternally separated from you that this nation could be saved. Thankfully, Lord, we do not have to. Your son, Jesus, was accursed for a season, only for a few hours, but accursed from you there on the cross. You've paid the way to your great mercy and compassion through the blood of your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that each of us know that and that we trust in you this day. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. Oh,